Hello, and welcome to the sermon podcast of First Baptist Church of Versailles, Missouri. It is our hope that the following message will help you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. For more teachings, please visit our sermon page at fbcversailles.com. Mark 14, 26 through 31. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will fall away, because it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Peter told him, Even if everyone falls away, I will not. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said to him, Today, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he kept insisting, If I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And they all said the same thing. Let's pray. God, you, it's in your nature, Lord, that you um, always have mercy. And so we pray that you would be gracious to us and to all who have gone astray from your ways. That you would bring them again with repentant hearts and steadfast faith to embrace and hold fast to the unchangeable truth of your word. Amen. Do you ever have like uh, random thoughts pop into your mind like if poison expires, is it more poisonous or is it no longer poisonous at all? Do you have thoughts like that? Or maybe like, why aren't blueberries blue? Does that thought ever pop into your mind? Or thoughts like this? Or maybe one more like, why doesn't glue stick to the inside of the bottle or to the tube? Like, how does it not do that? Well, I have one, all these questions, by the way, like I'm trying to write my sermon and like random questions popping in my mind. But let me ask you one more, and it's more to the point of our text for today. And that is, why do we point to our hearts when we are asked to point to ourselves and not our head? Because almost everybody recognizes and realizes that like our brain is the information center of our body. It's where we think, it's where our personality comes from, it's where our memories are stored, everything that's who we are comes from our mind. Yet whenever I ask, every time I've ever asked anybody the question, point to yourself, they always go like this. They point their heart. And I think that there's there's a reason for this. But it's, it's because we naturally point to the thing that we think is the core of who we are, what makes us what we are. And we always, at least in our society, say our heart. Our heart, right? It'd be weird if somebody said to you, I love you with all of my brains. You're like, oh, that's strange. I don't know what that means, right? <laughs> and no one who's ever pledged to be, um, to be a representative of a cause says, all of my lungs belong to you. Right? No, even though we might, use our, we might give somebody a piece of our mind and we're going to use our lungs to share the cause... We don't say that because it's strange. What we want to do is when we want to convey the deepest part of who we are, what makes us who we are, we always look at the heart. And I want you to keep that in your mind, all right, for just a moment. Because at the Passover, which is just before our passage today, Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. One who is eating with me. He says that in verse 18 of chapter 14. Jesus knew that it was Judas, but nobody else did. Well, Judas knew, but none of the other disciples had a clue. 
And we know that because every one of the disciples questions Jesus in verse 19 saying, It's not me, right? Surely not I. So every one of them, each one of them believed that they were capable of betraying Jesus. But not one of them could imagine that it would have been them that was going to do it. The disciples had been with Jesus in the upper room. They heard him say, as he was giving new meaning to the elements of the Passover meal, this is the bread, it's my body, take it. And with the cup, this is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus was pointing out that he was the Lamb of God that had come to take away the sins of the world. And Jesus is not just pointing back to the Exodus, which is where the Passover began, when they sacrificed a lamb and spread its blood over their door so that the death angel would pass by. He was also pointing forward to what was going to happen to everyone who put their trust in Him. You see, everyone who puts their trust in Jesus' substitutionary death, the curse of sin... The wage of sin, which is death, also passes over them. And just like the blood of the lamb in Egypt saved all those in the house from the death angel, the blood of Jesus saves men and women and boys and girls from the wages of sin. Now the disciples, they don't get it while Jesus is actually saying it. They'll have to wait until Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes and brings back to their memory everything that he had taught them. But as the Passover came to a close, they strike out and head to the Mount of Olives, singing a hymn, is what we're told in verse 26, singing a hymn. And the hymns that they sang at the Passover came from Psalm 113 to 109, or 118. And those were the the hymns that they would sing during the Passover. And, and it included phrases like, The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? And also, The Lord has chastened me severely, but He has not given me over to death. I will not die, but I will live. These words that Jesus was singing on His way up the mountain were probably very encouraging to Him as He was thinking about what was getting ready to happen to Him in just one day, as they would nail Him to the cross and they would try to take His life, these mere mortals. In our text today, Peter is going to pledge not only his heart, but his life, his whole life to Jesus. He says, even if I have to die. So he's pledging his heart, his mind, his soul, everything that he is, everything that he was. But what Peter doesn't know And what Jesus is going to tell him, we find out in Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32. Jesus says to him, Simon, Simon. That's Peter's old name. Peter was Simon before he was Peter. And Simon is shaky, weak. But Peter means rock. So he goes from shaky to rocky. But he calls him Simon. Simon, Simon, look out. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. You see, the disciples were already shaken up by the prediction that Jesus gave at the Passover supper. One of you will betray me. 
the one who's eating with me right now, one of you will betray me. And so they're already shaken up by that because they couldn't believe that it would be them. But they were, if they were already shaken up by that, I can't even imagine how shaken up they must have been when they heard up the mountain Jesus giving the prediction that he gave. And then he, not only does he give a prediction, but he's going to give a promise of hope. And, he's going to give, and then we're going to see the protest of Peter. So let's first look at that prediction that's found in verse 27. Jesus tells them bluntly, all of you will fall away. All of you will fall away. Because it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. So it's not just one disciple who's going to fall away, not just Judas who's going to betray him, but all of them will, in their own way, betray Jesus before it's all over. And this prediction actually finds its root in the Old Testament. In Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7, it says these same words, Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And this prophecy is in a section about the coming and the death of the Messiah. And in the context, God the Father is speaking about God the Son, Jesus, who He would be striking. And this wasn't some random murder on some random hill outside of Jerusalem. This wasn't, some, this wasn't just some accident that was taking place. This was a sacrifice planned before the beginning of time. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 and 32 says this, What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And then listen very carefully to how he continues it. He says, He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us. This was God's plan. He didn't spare his son, but gave him up. He gave his son up. It wasn't wasn't an accident. It wasn't... Um, it wasn't the wrong timing. It was exactly as God had planned it. God the Father planned to sacrifice God the Son, whose blood would then cover the sins of those who by faith would put their trust in Him. And it's a picture of the Passover. Actually, the Passover is a picture of what Christ was going to do. It was a foreshadowing of what was to come. And so, all those who knew the story of the Passover could look forward to the Passover lamb that would come, that the Messiah would come to take away the sins of the world. In the description of the Passover that, that just happened right before this text, where they just had eaten before they went up to the mountain, there's no mention of a lamb. But a lamb was the central focus of the Passover. That's, they had to slaughter the lamb spread its blood, and then they ate it. That was the first Passover. And every year, they would do the same thing. They would would sacrifice the lamb and then eat it as a reminder of what God had done for them. But there's no lamb in this Passover. All we hear about is the bread and the cup. And some people have speculated that there wasn't a lamb at all, and maybe that was the case. And others have said that there was a lamb, but it's not mentioned I think it's important that it's not mentioned either way, regardless of if there was one or not, because the focus, the picture that we're given is there wasn't a need for a lamb on the table or mention of a lamb in the meal because they had the lamb of God sitting with them. Even more interesting, Jesus says, no one takes my life from me, 
but I lay it down on my own. This was planned. This was all planned. This wasn't, like I said, it wasn't some accident. It wasn't some surprise. Jesus didn't go, oh no, what's happening now? He saw it and he knew exactly what was going to happen. And he even tells them exactly how they're going to respond. He knew it all beforehand. Jesus knew more than just the future cross that he would carry. He also knew the weaknesses of his own disciples. He knew their hearts. Even better than they knew their hearts, he knew their hearts. And he knew Jeremiah 17.9, that the heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? The heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? When the shepherd was struck, the sheep would scatter. Jesus says it this way, all of you will fall away. All of you will fall away. The disciples would lose heart. They would run. They would hide. And in Peter's case, he would even verbally deny Jesus. Three times, in fact. Verbally deny Jesus. The prediction was fulfilled, and the sheep would scatter. I have another random question. How hard do you think it was for Jesus to choose the twelve, knowing full well that each one of them would abandon him at the precise moment when he needed them the most? He made them close friends, closer than family, knowing exactly what they would do, knowing exactly what their hearts were like. You know, there's great hope for us because we know, as we look at this, that Jesus will never leave us. He'll never forsake us. Even even when we make a huge mess of things, even in our weakness, even, even though He knows our every weakness, He loves us anyway. And He's merciful and He's compassionate to those who follow Him. So we see the prediction of Jesus that they all would scatter. But then there's a promise of hope in verse 28. The falling away is very serious, but it's not forever. Look at verse 28. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Jesus had been telling them this since chapter 8. This is actually the fifth time he tells them he's going to raise from the dead. But after the prediction that they would all fall away. None of them seemed to pick up on the hope that Jesus gave them in verse 28. And I imagine none of us would have either because when Jesus, we've been following Jesus for about three years and he tells you, all, you, all y'all are going to fall away. You're all going to deny me. You're all going to run and hide. We'd probably be thinking, no, I, I wouldn't do that. And that's what they were doing. They're like, no, we'd never do that. No, no, that can't be us. So they missed this promise of hope. And in fact, we know they missed it because in chapter 16, verses, uh, I think it's 6 and 7, the angel has to remind them, hey, he said, go to Galilee. And then that's what they do. But they they heard what Jesus said, but it hadn't made an impression on their hearts. After they scattered, after three days after his resurrection, he told them, I'll meet you again in Galilee. My death isn't the end, and neither is your scattering. Neither is your failing or your falling. And where his ministry began in Galilee, that's where he would meet them in the end. 
but the message just flew right over their head. Now, I know that you all have experienced this too. Something like this has happened to you. Maybe it was, uh, you know, you're trying to tell somebody something and just, they just didn't get it. Could have been you trying to tell your child to clean their room and you explain to them what you mean by actually cleaning their room and they're like, yeah, 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 I got it. And then they don't do that, right? They clean it however they wanted to clean it because they just missed it because all they heard was clean your room and they just, rah, you know, inside. They just don't want to hear it. Or maybe, uh, maybe... Uh, spouses with one another. They just talk right past each other or friends. You know, we try and explain something and they just don't quite get it. If you teach the Bible, this should be an encouragement to you because Jesus was the best teacher on the planet and his disciples, it took them a long time to get some of his stuff too. All right, so if you, if you ever teach the Bible to anybody and they don't get it, hang with them. Eventually, they'll get it, okay? Eventually, they'll get it. Surprisingly, what we see in the disciples still happens in the lives of Christians today. How many truths of the Bible have people heard? How many have they read? And how many of them have remembered it and lived it out? You see, for the disciples, the days of darkness are coming, and they're coming for us as well. And just like the disciples are unprepared, I fear that many Christians are also unprepared. Did you know it's possible to hear the truth in the Bible but not live it out? It's possible to to hear it and to read it without ever being grabbed by it, without being changed by it. Let's make it personal. How many biblical commands have you learned in the last year that you are actually living out in your life each day? How many words of wisdom have you heard in a Bible study or a Sunday school class that you've forgotten just as quickly as what you had for lunch last Monday? How many sermons have you heard that you've responded to superficially only to walk out, listen to, and left continuing to live like you hadn't heard anything at all? We should pray, all of us, and I'm speaking to myself too here, because I'm just as guilty as forgetting and not living up to what I know to be true as well. And that's why we need to pray, we need to seek God, not just to help us to to learn and hear and understand what His Word says, but to live it out, to apply that truth to our life that, that it affects us, that it changes us, that it causes us to be more like Jesus. My prayer is often that he would help me to search and find every morsel of truth in his word and not lose it because of lack of attention. The good news is, is that even though they missed the truth that Jesus was trying to tell them, he would meet them again. Even though they fell, it wouldn't be forever. They were down, but they weren't out. In time... The truth will always bear fruit in our lives. And that's good news. So we've seen the prediction of Jesus, the promise of hope. And now let's take a look at this protest of Peter. In the final verse, Jesus says, All of you will fall away. But in the final verses, Peter couldn't believe it. There was no situation in his life that he could imagine that would cause him to fall away from Jesus, to deny him. 
He just couldn't, he couldn't fathom it. He couldn't, think of a, he couldn't even think of a situation in which that would be true. And so he says as much. No, I won't do it. I won't do it. But let's remember Proverbs 16, verse 18. Pride comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. That's chilling. That's chilling. I wish I would remember this proverb more often. That I would approach things in life with a lot more humility. Peter said, even if everyone else falls away, I will not. Even if I have to die with you, I'll never deny you. Others might do it, Jesus, but not me. I won't. I would never. Never. And I think Peter's being sincere here. Obviously, we know the rest of the story. He actually does and will fall away. We'll take a look at that over the next couple of weeks. But, but in this moment, Peter, Peter doesn't. He doesn't know that that's what's going to happen. And I think he's being sincere, but in his sincerity, there's also a very unhealthy dose of arrogance, of bravado, of self-confidence, and of pride. Not me. I'm the exception. Jesus, you said everyone would fall away, but not me. Um, In his declaration of loyalty to Jesus, Peter actually unwittingly calls Jesus a liar. Because Jesus says, all of you will fall away. And Peter says, nope. I won't. You're not telling the truth, Jesus. All of them will fall away, but not me. But no, Jesus says, all of, all of you. All of you will fall away. And Jesus is never wrong. And so we see Peter's arrogance. But Jesus, Jesus responds with compassion and concern, kind concern. And I imagine that's what was on his voice when he said, Oh, Peter, truly I tell you today, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. He tells him in very specific detail that not only will Peter fall away like the rest of the disciples, but that he will deny him, and not only that he will deny him, but he'll deny him three different times. That's not just running away. That's not just hiding. That's not just scattering. That's different. He says, Peter, you, don't, you just don't know how hard you are going to fall. Three times. And then after that third denial, like an alarm clock set on your phone, the rooster will crow twice. And in fact, Peter will even say that he never knew Jesus. And so Jesus is here telling Peter, he's saying, I know that you're telling me that you won't leave me. But I'm telling you, not only will you leave me, you'll say you never even knew me. Now, if we hadn't already read it, you would think that Jesus' words would have caused Peter to pause, right? No, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. You'd be like, oh, well, maybe there's something to that. Maybe I need to reevaluate my loyalty. Maybe I need to... You know, do something about this. Maybe I, maybe I should stop and ask Jesus for some help so that I won't do what he says that I will do. You know, that's what, that would be a good thing to do, you know, if we're armchair quarterbacking it today, which we are. We could say, that's where Peter should have been like, oh, that's terrible. I don't want to do that. Lord, how can I not do that? How can I remain faithful even in, even in the difficulty that's about to come? But that's not what Peter does, does he? 
Instead, in verse 31, it says, He kept on insisting. He kept on insisting. If I have to die with you, I will never deny you. I'll never do it. He doubles down on his loyalty. Instead of recognizing his own weak position and humbly coming to Jesus and say, please give me strength. I don't want to do that. He goes, nope, I can do it. Got it. I'll never do it. Even if they, even if they kill me, I'll never do it. Oh, Peter. And not wanting to be outdone, the other disciples all said the same thing. So the verse tells us. What did all this confident boasting do for them? Nothing. It didn't do anything. Before sunrise, in less than 12 hours, their denial, their betrayals, their scattering, it would all be done. Just as Jesus said, all of them denied Jesus. All of them fled. So verse 50 tells us, Mark 14, 50, their loud professions of loyalty were forgotten. Clearly, while they professed with their mouths, their hearts were not all the way in. At least not yet. Now let me start to try and pull some of this together for us. And maybe add a few more insights into into this text that we've read this morning. First, I think that we... I don't think there's anybody in here that wants to be like Peter and the other disciples, right? We don't want to fall. We don't want to fail in our faith. We don't want to scatter from Jesus, right? They were, filled, they were filled with pride. They were filled with pride. I, I will never. Look at all those personal pronouns there. I will never. I won't do this. I won't do that. I, I, I. They didn't believe that they could do it. And that's what made their failure even more spectacular. So if we're going to succeed where they have failed, then we must learn humility. We must learn humility. The truth is that if we're honest, and I think many of us, if not all of us, recognize that we probably would have been like the other disciples joining Peter. I would never do that, Lord. I would never do it. But we don't really know how we would respond until we're in a situation like that. Which is why it's so important for us to stay connected to Jesus. Which is why it's so important for us to recognize how weak we actually are. Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-six says, the one who trusts in himself, I thought I had it up there, but I don't. It says, the one who trusts in himself is a fool. There are so many in our world that are failing in their faith because they are putting their trust in the wrong place. They're trusting in their own ability, their own strength, and they're not putting their trust fully on Jesus. And so they fall. You know, the world is telling us constantly, trust in yourself. Believe in yourself. You're the answer. They say, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You're the champ- we are the champions, right? You're the captain of your soul, in charge of your own destiny. But the Bible warns us, nope, you're not. Don't believe that. Don't believe that. And if we trust in ourselves, we too will fail. So we need humility. And that leads us to the second one. We are far more sinful than we know. We're far more sinful than we know. You'll never read, you'll never read about that in a paper or a magazine. You'll never hear about it on the evening news. But our hearts are way more wicked than we realize. 
I quoted Jeremiah 17.9 before. Let me quote it again in another version. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. The heart is deceitful. It doesn't say the heart can be deceitful. It says it is deceitful. It is wicked. This is why children rebel against their parents, why students rebel against their teachers, while employees rebel against their bosses and husbands and wives against each other. And then also the reason why random people on social media fight with each other, with people they don't even know. See it all the time on Facebook. They're arguing with each other. They don't even know each other. But it's because their heart is deceitful and they're desperately wicked and they're in rebellion. But worse than those rebellions, those human relational rebellions, we are in a much more devastating state because we are at war with God. Our wicked heart puts us at war with God. Our lives are flipped all upside down. But thankfully, like Peter and the disciples, there's hope for us. There's hope for us through Jesus' gracious forgiveness, through His uh, restoration of our lives, our sins can be forgiven and we can be made new again. But the danger, the real danger, is in thinking that we would never be like the disciples. We aren't capable of being like them. But isn't that what they said? No, we'd never... We'd never deny you, Jesus. Never, not even once. And, and then here we are, 1,900-ish years later, and we read this story and see the disciples' denial of Jesus, and we go, oh, I would never do that. I'd never be like the disciples and deny Jesus. Hold on a second. <laughs> That's the words of Peter, isn't it? And Peter didn't know what we now know. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, Whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. None of, us think, none of us like to think that we can fall, and that's when we do fall. If we recognize our own limitations, our own weakness, our own sinfulness, we're far better off because we'll cling to Jesus because we'll recognize that we can't do it on our own. We'll wake up every morning and go, Jesus, I need you to hold on to me because if you don't, I will fall into sin. But most morning we get up and we go, don't worry, Jesus, I got this one. I can take care of it. I'll be all right. J.C. Ryle, great preacher of the past, said "There's there's no degree of sin into which the greatest saint may not fall if he is not held up by the grace of God. Let me say that again. There's no degree of sin into which the greatest saint may not fall if he is not upheld by the grace of God. You see, inside of every human heart is the seeds of all kinds of sin, of every kind of sin you can imagine. Any one of us could fall into terrible sin, and that's why we need Jesus to hold us up. We need Jesus in our lives to hold us up because... While the world says, follow your heart, we realize we can't do that because our heart is deceitful, it's deceptive, and desperately wicked. And we know that if we follow our heart, it will follow it right into sinfulness. But we can always trust the path of Jesus. 
If we're following the path of Jesus, we know we're on the right path. And so we must pray each and every day that God would hold on to us, that He would sustain us, because even though our grip might fail, God will never let go of us. We also need to listen to the words of Jesus and obey them. Jesus knows us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And if Jesus tells us to watch out for something or to do something, we should do it. That's what he told Peter, right? That's what he actually told all the disciples. All of you are going to betray me. All of you are going to scatter. All of you are going to fall. And Peter didn't believe him. Peter didn't heed his words. He didn't put them into his life to obey them. Instead, he argued with Jesus when he should have been trusting him and obeying him. Psalm 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. When we follow God's word, we keep our hearts from leading us down the wrong paths. And it saves us from ourselves. We also need to show grace to other believers. We need to show grace to other believers. None of us are angels. I thought I'd, get, I thought I'd see some elbows into the people sitting next to you. <laughs> None of us are angels. We're all saved sinners. That's what we are. We're saved sinners. Ephesians 4.32 And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. If you've been saved long enough, you will know of some other believer who has stumbled in their faith, who has fallen. And our job as fellow Christians is to when, is, is when they stumble, is to help them get back up. It's to help restore them. And sadly, I hear and have heard of stories, and I have friends on Facebook who post it every single day, that when they were down, the church kicked them and beat them even more. And instead of helping them, they pushed them away. Galatians 6.1 Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. Carry one another's burdens, and this way you fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Eventually, each one of us will do something in our lives that will cause us to fall in some way. And we will desperately need not only the grace and love of Jesus Christ, but also the grace and love of our brothers and sisters. We're going to need them to stand with us and to help us and to encourage us and to get up underneath of the weight of that sin and help bear it with us so we can overcome it. We're going to want them to be inconvenienced in their life so that we can come back to the Lord and follow Him like we should. Which means that when we see our brother or sister fall, we shouldn't go, oh man, I would never do that. <laughs> that's, uh, you know, that's too bad for them. They're, you know, God, you know, they obviously don't love God anymore and God doesn't love them. Otherwise, they wouldn't have done that. You know? that's, we can't do that. We can't do that. Instead, we should be like the, the Good Samaritan. 
and we should pick them up. We should carry them and take care of them and do whatever it takes, whatever the cost, to make sure that they're restored. Failure is never final. You know, people use baseball jargon in every part of their life. Three strikes and you're out. How many have heard that? Three strikes and you're out. Heard that? Yep. Peter would deny Jesus three times. Three strikes, Peter. But Jesus doesn't kick him out. He doesn't make him, he doesn't kick him off the team. He doesn't make him ride the bench. Instead, he loved him. Even, even in his failure, in spite of his failure, Jesus loved them. And he loved all of them, even though they all ran. And he loves you, even when you fail. His love for you doesn't change just because you have failed. Just like the love of a mother or a father for their child doesn't change when their children fail. Jesus knew about all of their weaknesses. He knew about all of their betrayals. He knew about all of their sins. And he loved them anyway. He shared a meal with them. He washed their feet. He gave them his very life. And all of them would dump him. And it reminds me of Psalm 23.5 a little bit where he says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. They were weak. But Jesus was strong, and after the resurrection, He would meet them in Galilee. And there He would restore each one of them. And in John chapter 21, we get a sneak peek on the restoration of Peter, where Jesus takes a special interest in making sure that Peter knows that he is restored, that he is loved, and that he still has a purpose in the kingdom of God. Jesus was an incredible friend. Even though all of his friends abandoned him, Jesus never abandoned them. And it reminds me of the, of the hymn that Johnson Oatman wrote in 19, or 1895. And I'm sure you'll know it if you've been in church for a while. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. No one else could heal all our soul's diseases. No, not one. No, not one. Jesus knows all about our struggles. He will guide till the day is done. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. He's there till the end to guide us. Even though we might fall, even though we might fail, He is there. He will never let us down. Our friends may leave us when we fail, But Jesus will love us, He'll forgive us, and He'll restore us. No matter how miserable a sinner you think you are, Jesus loves you. And He wants to strengthen you. We're not strong enough to hang on to Jesus all on our own. But if Jesus is holding on to us, He will keep us. And He is committed to finishing the work in us that He has begun. Do you remember how... Satan wanted to sift Jesus, or sift Peter rather, and Jesus told him about it. I mean, think about it. The incredible thing is that Jesus told Peter, I've prayed for you. Satan wants to sift you. He wants to test you. He wants to try you. 
but I've prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And eventually Peter will understand it. And he was probably reflecting on this part of his life, I think, whenever he wrote 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 through 9. Because where he was filled with arrogance and bravado and self-confidence and pride. Listen to what he writes in 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 5. All of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another. That means we need to be gracious toward one another, right? Because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him, Because he cares about you. Be sober-minded. Be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a lion, a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. Satan was prowling around looking to attack Peter. Jesus told him about it. And instead of Peter going to Jesus saying, what can I do? How can, I, how can you strengthen me? What, what needs to happen? He goes, that's all right, I got it. I would never do that. Never going to happen. He writes this because he knows from first-hand experience that the devil is prowling around like a lion. And so Peter wanted to remind those that he was writing to about his own struggles with arrogance and pride and self-confidence. And he wanted them to know that if they put their trust and hope in Jesus Christ alone, that they could overcome. If they put their their trust in themselves, they'd never make it, but if they put their trust in Christ, they'd overcome. God's love is so great for mankind. He provided a sacrifice to cover all of our sins. And though we find that we are guilty... The blood of the Lamb, which is our substitute, can, He can shelter our souls from eternal death. And so we must place our faith in that substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. If we don't do that, we're not covered. And we, like Peter and the rest of the disciples, will fall away. And we'll fall away forever. The death will be final, but if we're covered by the blood of the Lamb... We can have forgiveness of sin. You see, Jesus died on the cross. His blood was shed so that sin could be removed from your life, that though your sins be like scarlet, he would wash them white as snow. And if you put your faith in Christ, and not in yourself, but in Christ, he'll forgive you, he'll restore you, Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of First Baptist Church of Versailles. We would love it if you joined us in person. Our services are Sunday at 1045 a.m. and Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. We are located at 211 East Jasper Street in Versailles, Missouri. For more sermon recordings, visit our sermon page at fbcversailles.com.